Happy New Year to everybody. Come on, it's January 2nd. What are you going to do differently this year with your own personal finances? You can't sit there and expect to get a different result if we don't try things differently. That's why I'm so pleased to have Danielle Park return to the show. She's the author of Juggling Dynamite and uh, does a terrific job with portfolio management, but deals with people like you and people like me every day. So she knows what our worries are, uh, you know, how to implement uh, goals, how to get strategies together. Danielle, thank you for finding time on January 2nd. Hey, thank you, Mike. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Let's let's have a quick look at uh, sort of a perspective, the overview here. Uh, 2015, we were chronicling a few minutes ago on the show that we've got the TSX down something like 11% for the year. And I know that wasn't a surprise to you, uh, but S&P down slightly on the year. Uh, you know, you look at some of the other exchanges. But, uh, uh, you know, again, going forward into 2016, what does it all mean? Yeah, well, uh, we had actually a very positive year in 2015. I'm very happy to report our clients um, got what they deserved, which was some positive returns when everyone else was losing. And I think the thing that's understated in what's being said right now about the progress that has been made to the downside is that the dividend-paying stuff, I think this is quite a story, Mike, it was the dividend-paying, quote, conservative things that actually did far worse and fared, you know, lost more than the broad index. So you have things like the, you know, XDV, the dividend uh, paying ETF, that's a composite of all these, quote, high quality companies in Canada, was off uh, just about 13% in 2015. ETFs uh, of uh, preferred shares, again, things that are typically sold to, you know, people as uh, high income paying tax preference and all that, they were down about 16% in 2015, you know. Uh, so I think here's the nub of, of what I think people have to grasp about this environment. From 2010, when the Fed started the QE uh, programs and the relentless efforts from 10 to 14, 2014, we had a massive overvaluation in most financial assets in the world, and in particular in income paying instruments. So whether they're REITs, whether they're financial stocks, whether they're dividend energy, utilities, you name it, all the stuff that everybody herded to because they were looking for income in this very low rate environment. And that was where the banks and brokerages just bailed out, sold all kinds of product, packaged up all sorts of retail stuff and threw it at mom and pop looking for yield. And unfortunately, that's where the bulk of the investment risk has been the past couple of years. And, and you know, if you look at the fund flows in 2015, Mike, tragically, it's mom and pop, you know, investor who were coming into this market late in the cycle once more. The retail flows were coming in as all the institutional funds were continuing to flow out as they started in 2014 and 15. So I think today people have to really appreciate that if they're sitting there with this, quote, diversified portfolio of income-bearing instruments, thinking they're somehow protected from a bear market, in fact, they're most risk-exposed in that segment of any other sectors. So I think it's really a, a very important time for people to take stock, to look at their portfolio. If they lost capital in 2015... Um, they should expect to probably lose more in 2016 because what that tells you is the things that you're holding are the things that are in the downtrend. And specifically, that's not just energy, but financials and dividend paying, as I said. Now, across the board, is it all uh, one of the things that surprised me uh, in 2015 was that high quality dividend payers 
also now obviously they didn't do near as uh, badly as you know we've been very worried on this show about the the so-called junk bond market the low quality yield that kind of stuff and i think it's got a ton to go but i was still surprised by the weakness in even the highest quality uh, of, like uh that someone might get for yield something. yeah Is exactly that what you mean? yeah well yeah. i'm not surprised a bit about that mike because as i've been saying that's exactly where the greatest price inflation was the past four mm-hmm. years and that's where i mean mike the canadian financial index went up a hundred percent from 13 into 14 okay so yeah. People have to try and get a, their mind around the risk in this sector is off the charts. So every other uh, major downturn, the Canadian uh, financial sector lost about half of its value. That's the kind of downturn we're in the midst of right now. So if you look at it that way, with financials off maybe 5% from their recent peak in November of 14, we've got a lot more to go here. And I realize individual names like Bank of Nova Scotia is off a lot more, something like down 14% or so, and individual bank stocks, many of them have had a good downturn so far, but I think we're just partway through that. And I'm waiting for the beautiful valuations that present when everyone who bought in at the high valuations and didn't comprehend the risk start panic selling. That's when you pick these things up for a song, and that's when the dividend yield is so attractive. You can get, you know, then they're truly, quote, lower risk because the price has come down so much and the dividend is truly worth holding because it's above eight percent in most cases by the time the price has come off that much so that's where the real money is made it's in the buying low not in the holding high or the buying high that's where Mm -hmm. money is lost each cycle um, when you look at the interest rate scenario going forward, we got finally we got that little bump in rates in the states. Uh, do you do you also have to have a look at what you think interest rates are going to do in Canada? What the Bank of Canada's action might be? Well, I think the Bank of Canada is kind of impotent at this point, Mike. I mean, as we've said and you've said many times, the thing is central bankers go into this downturn with no bullets left. They've already yeah. exhausted everything. In fact, they're in this horrific position of trying to, with the Fed in, in, in the U.S., of trying to walk this confidence game forward and say, hey, we were right in our thesis and QE did do all the wonderful things we thought it would, and now we're going to start hiking rates because we're concerned about frothiness in certain financial conditions. I mean, this is the worst possible scenario because they really are irrelevant at this point in the cycle. Um, I think interest rates, I don't see any reason for them to want to hike policy rates very far other than, as I say, as this kind of a confidence game. I think in Canada, you're going to want to see the, the Bank of Canada is going to want to try and loosen some more. And Mr. Polos has been talking about, hey, I can go negative rates here. But in, in, in essence, I think the big problems in the, the Canadian market both with the financial markets and with the economy, are sort of not to do with rates. I mean, any scenario you look at, if rates go higher, that's going to be negative for the over-levered housing for sure. So that's bad. But even if they keep rates same or they figure out some way to orchestrate them slightly lower, I believe we're already up to the eyebrows and beyond with debt in this country, and it's not going to have any stimulative impact. Um, I think that, you know, we're, we're likely to see more downturn, more weakness, in the job market, and that's going to be a problem. If you really look at the carnage in the energy sector, Mike, in 2015, we've really had remarkably little job losses still. And that's because they try and hold on later, right? They try and keep people on the payroll, try and cut expenses in other ways, etc. But I think 16, we're going to start seeing the next wave of layoffs hit. And that's where you're, you know, I think that's the biggest risk. Not so much that rates will go higher, 
but that people just won't be able to keep up with the payments that they've already taken on. I'm talking with Danielle Park. She's the author of the book, Juggling Dynamite. As you can tell, Danielle deals with this with individuals like you and individuals like me on a daily basis to try and uh, kind of get things together. I'm going to do more with Danielle. There's uh, one aspect of those low rates that I've been whining about, and that is, of course, what the impact has been on uh, people who rely on that income. Also, the pension funds are under the gun. I'll give you an interesting stat when we come back, what's happened in Pennsylvania, if you didn't hear it earlier. All of that coming your way right here on Money Talks. I'm very pleased to have with me, uh, she is the president and partner. Uh, she's a portfolio manager at Venable Park Investment Council. Uh, she joins me on the line right now, Danielle Park. Danielle, let's let's come to a couple of quick things here because I, I, I just uh, don't want to run out of time. I mean, you get the question all the time, but I am looking at this low-rate environment. It's put pressure on people who are counting on much higher rates of return, pressure on pension funds, et cetera. Uh, you know, someone walks into you and, and let's, of course, you would do a lot of due diligence about who they are, what their risk profile, that kind of stuff. But bottom line, what kinds of stuff are you telling people to do today? Well, you what you do is you have to do things completely different than the mainstream financial business tries to get people to constantly buy and hold these balanced portfolios to their demise. It is horrific in this environment when everything is very highly correlated Everything's, as I say, been grossly overvalued in the QE mania between 2010 and 14. That mean reversion process started in 2014, and it's ongoing. So the way you get yield in this environment is not by buying and holding things that have been grossly overvalued and dramatically underpaying you for that risk. What you do is you keep liquid, you keep your capital available so that when this process completes, you're one of the few people that's able to buy these uh, instruments at a fraction of their current price. So as I say, um, if you look at, you know, the TSX today, where is all, yes, it's come back down, it's at 13,000, the bulk of the risk, if you lift the hood on that, Mike, you've got the main street consumables, the, you know, the uh, resource companies, energy, gold, all that stuff already below its 2009 cycle low when we were in the Great Recession. And you've got the REITs and dividend paying and financial shares, as they say, begun their mean reversion back down to retest that, what I think will be an 09 low test. But they are still dramatically overvalued and above that level. So instead of trying to fight macro forces, which are baked in here, they're baked in by demographics of people that are aging and not spending as much, slow growth in the world, and the debt overhang from the super credit bubble that the world experienced. Um, So all that's baked in. So you can't stand in the front of that and say, wait, I want yield now. I want to own these things now. It's like, okay, great, but you're going to lose a chunk of your capital. So the smart thing to do is to do the opposite of those fund flows. So as everyone was piling into those things the past couple of years, you needed to be taking capital out. And you can still do that. It's still not too late. Take capital out, put in liquid proceeds. I mean, the best place to make money in the last couple of years has actually been in U.S. cash and in high-quality, shorter government bonds, provincial bonds, that sort of thing. Um, That's where the money has really been the most intelligent, and and you've been able to amass some compound return there. Everything else, you know, the problem with these great speculative episodes is that people who are the most dumb and the most reckless look really smart. In the mean reversion process, everything that looked genius on the way up is revealed to be dumb and reckless on the way down. So we're in the middle of that process. And that means you have to really, as I say, stop taking your financial advice from the people paid to sell your risk and debt. 
That means the bank and brokers in the world, which have been piling people into these overvalued assets so they could make their profits. Now everything is going the opposite way, and they're going to all say, well, we didn't know, we didn't see it coming, gee, we're sorry. That's, you can't afford that. Most people don't amass their money until they're into their 50s. By then, you don't have enough time to ride these cycles out. Here's a really great thing that's happening right now that's very encouraging. If you want something really encouraging to think about, it's that this secular bear that began in 2000 has been working its way through now for 16 years, right? We're headed into the 16th year of this cycle. We know historically they tend to last 17 to 20 years maximum. And during that final downturn, which would be the third recession of the period, which we're entering right now, at that point, you typically get a massive washout where everything retests the cycle low that it's tested two or three times already in that period. And it either breaks and goes to a final low or holds at that third cyclical test. And, and in other words, the great buying opportunity is not too far from here. It's coming. You can't be impatient now. And so everyone has to recalibrate their thinking. You can't just put these things on autopilot in a secular bear and walk away and think you're going to be fine. It's like a hurricane's coming through every you know four or five years, and you don't want to be decimated every time. So right now it's about maintaining liquidity, high credit quality. You know, we moved out of corporate bonds in the last year because we were at the end of this credit cycle, high, you know, at, at the late stage cycle. So that's when you avoid these things that have all become overvalued. Move your money to cash. We started paring back our U.S. dollar exposure, actually, because we've been in it since 2010 and had a hell of a run here. It's been great for Canadians. Again, low-risk gains. You have to think counterculture in a secular bear. And that was when everyone was against the U.S. dollar. You start adding that. Well, now you got to be a little concerned because the world is starting to fall, you know, in love with the U.S. dollar again and hate the Canadian dollar. I think there's still possibly some further downside here, but you got to always remember no trend lasts forever. You can't fall in love with these things, right? You start paring back your capital and drive it always from your own risk exposure. So in other words, if you're needing income and you need your money to, uh, to use either now or within the next five years, in my suggestion, you would, should have very little to any of your money in equities at this point in the cycle, and certainly not in high-yield corporate debt. Because if, if we're correct in the mean reversion phase, which is not us being correct, it's historically the facts, once that correction takes place, you're back to where you were sort of 12 years ago in terms of price point. Now, that's when you need the liquidity to be able to buy this stuff. And that's when, you know, if we hit the last downturn of this secular bear, it probably won't be a sharp V recovery like they saw in 2010 with the QEs. It'll be a slow, more organic recovery. What you need to survive and thrive in that period is, number one, don't have the losses on the, on the, on the downturn, and number two, be able to buy so that even if shares don't go up much for a few years, which would be typical, you'd get a sort of a sideways turn off the bottom more than a V in the next downturn. Once you are able to buy things with this great yield on them, you can sit there and make very little in capital gains, and you're happy enough because your yields are 7 and 8%. That's how you get ahead in investing. And that's why I, I just you know, implore people, please look at your risk. Please think about how you ha when the hurricane hit you in 2008-9, how did that set you back? How did that make you feel? Be prepared for that kind of a market shock again. It's baked in because of all these excesses that they've already put into 
you know, rapid uh, credit expansion, et cetera. So now that that's going to re- mean revert correct itself, you want to be on the right side of that. Um, just, just very quickly, Daniel, straightforward, but okay, so somebody's parking their cash or moving it out of the market. Uh, where are you putting it? Well, cash needs to be cash, Mike, and we learned in okay. the last downturn you can't put it in hybrid exotic paper and consider that cash, right? Cash means cash. It means not having to sell another instrument to get your money, right? That's right. what cash is. And so a high-yield interest savings deposits uh, are cash-like, and then cash actually in your account, anything that's short and liquid and not sold on an open market to get you the actual proceeds, that would be what cash is. And, and uh, I mean, I think you've already uh, alluded to this, though, but uh, the other thing that I'm hearing, which I love, is that, uh, you know, you're not an all-or-none investor. You don't have to, you know, you've got to start ad- addressing these macro trends that are going to impact us, uh, as you say, and, and get your portfolio back in gear. And what a great way to start the year is saying, yeah, it's time for a review. Great stuff, Danielle. Well, it works, Mike. It works. You know, we've been going through this period for 16 years, this secular period, and we've made money throughout, and we're doing it again now, and people can do it. They don't have to get decimated every time a storm comes. And, uh, you know, some of the the, uh, highest uh, uh, credit quality, the provincial debt and that sort of thing, we were able to pick up at a discount this summer because it was selling off, and now it's back in demand. I think uh, government debt in North America is going to continue to be attractive because, as you were alluding to earlier, emerging markets and capital keeps flowing out of falling currencies all over the world looking for, quote, safe places to be. North America um, and, and government debt here is actually paying better yields with probably less risk than many of those places. So I think that will continue to be supportive. So there's, there are things you can yeah. do with capital. It doesn't have to all stay in cash, but it's the, it's the overvalued stuff you have to really avoid. Great stuff as always. The president, portfolio manager of Venable Park Investment Council, author of Juggling Dynamite. And you can go to jugglingdynamite.com, Danielle Park. Thank you, Danielle. Thank you, Mike. Great stuff. I'll take a break. I'll come back. i got a shocking stat uh, to start off the new year. I've got Ozzy Jurek and ask him to look forward in real estate, Victor Adair, and a Goofy Award. All of that coming your way. Stay with us on Money Talks. Well, I've got a Goofy Award for you today. And you know what? It's funny. It's, it's something that I wrote about two weeks ago. We didn't have time in the show to get to it. We only got to one part. And I thought about it over the holidays and thinking, no, I'm going to get to this one. Because, hey, why not start the new year with really bugging some people? Well, I guarantee I'll be doing that coming up. Also, Victor Dare live from the trading desk. Ozzy Jurek, a couple things that he's watching closely to look at the real estate market coming in the next year. Now, time now well, for my shocking stat of the week. And this is one that uh, I got out of an article by Joe Oliver, our former finance minister. And I went and did more of the digging up to get some numbers for it. But it is shocking when you see the financial mismanagement that has gone on in Ontario, first under Dalton McGuinty, followed through by Kathleen Wynne. Here's some of the numbers that we should know. And as I say, I mean, Ontario is over a third of the Canadian economy. So it's going to impact all of us. But Ontario's debt is now over $294 billion. It's headed over $300 billion. That works out to $21,000 per person. But keep in mind, not everybody pays taxes. In fact, uh, overall, nationally, when you look at about uh, 26 million tax filers, 8 million pay no tax. So that burden is not going to be shared amongst all of those people. So the number is actually a lot higher than 21,000. 
Overall, though, the provincial debt is up 80%. When you look at the whole country, this is a story. We talk a lot about federal debt. You should be looking at provincial debt. Overall, provincial debt's up 80% in the last 10 years. But Ontario represents half of that increase. And here's the key, or the, the, the real problem, is that Ontario paid $11.4 billion in interest on their debt last year. And that's with record low interest rates. Can you imagine what happens to that number if you start getting a bounce up in interest rates? That, that translates to $840 worth of taxes per person goes just to interest. That's $3,360 for a family of four just paying interest, no services. And as I say, uh, this is a huge problem for all of us because of uh, them representing a third of the Canadian economy. The incredible thing, though, is that Ontario's deteriorating financial state is not news. The, the Liberals themselves commissioned uh, what's called the Drummond Report that clearly warned of the dangers, but Kathleen Wynne has done nothing to correct the situation. As the recent Auditor General's report in Ontario made clear, my God, the level of financial incompetent, uh, incompetence permeates every aspect of the government. And here's the thing, they got re-elected. Yeah, they had overwhelming support of public sector unions who didn't want any change. A chunk of the public who couldn't care less about, obviously they didn't care about unethical or incompetent behavior or cared about things more often. But, you know, Alex, Alexis de Tocqueville told us, we get the government we deserve. Well, Ontario has the government we deserve, except their children do not deserve to inherit this financial mess. The bill is getting presented as we speak in Ontario. What a bunch of shocking numbers. That level of incompetence to me just blows my mind. I'm taking a break. I'll come back. Ozzy Jurek on deck with me. It's got a goofy award. And a reminder, go to moneytalks.net every day of the week. If you want to rehear what Daniel Park had to say, go ahead. What Michael Levy, uh, what Patrick had to say about selling covered calls on Suncor, all of that's available. Just go to moneytalks.net. Plus, your time to sign up for the World Outlook Conference. One of the big highlights of this year's World Outlook Conference, we haven't done it before, but Aussie is going to host the real estate section. Looking forward to that. We're running it uh, Friday, January 29th. Starts at, uh, I think, 1 o'clock, goes right through for several hours, hitting on a number of big subjects, obviously including Aussie's predictions for what's coming up in 2016. He joins me on the line now. Aussie, Happy New Year. And Happy New Year to you and all your listeners. So let's start with a couple of things that are on your plate coming up when you look at 2016. I mean, is there uh, just just give me a sampling. I know you're going to be doing that extensively at the World Outlook Conference, but a couple of issues that sort of jump out at you right now. Well, really, since, uh, you know, I've had the privilege of being at the Fabulous Money World Outlook Conference since, I believe, 1994. But I know that since 1996, I was kind of boring in my prediction. I always said, buy real estate. You know, I mean, I firmly <laughs> believed that we were living sort of in the world's most uh, unreported inflation of all times and certainly inflation in hard assets. And so we said, certainly, bye bye Vancouver. And in the last few years, we, we really focused also on the U.S. And so what we're doing, you know, we have an outlook issue every year. And certainly at the conference, I, I talk about the five best cities I see, the five best suburbs as where to buy in those cities, and a whole slew of investments. I mean, it's a 50-page outlook issue. But next year, I'm kind of concerned. Uh, you know, we always it's, it's no longer bye 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 because – uh, we are having two major markets in Toronto and Vancouver that are really flirting with all-time highs, and I don't like the reasons for it. Uh, well, let's talk about that a little more because uh, 
you know, you know, first of all, what time frame worries you? Is it, it, it are you, obviously, are you not talking really long term, but on, on a shorter term, the next year or whatever? Uh, do you think Toronto and Vancouver must be, you know, I mean, gosh, they're at record highs. At some point, that's got to end. Yeah, no question. I mean, we're in boom, boom territory, and all booms are followed by reversals. But the big thing is, you, you take our central banker, Polos. He said earlier this year that we think, he thinks we're overvalued by 30%. Then he brings interest rates uh, down uh, unbelievably low. I mean, our previous finance minister, Mr. Flaherty, uh, had said that at 2.99%, he sort of shamed the Bank of Montreal in, in taking that product off the market. Well, today, in this last year, our product for five-year money is as low as 2.3%, and some of our commercial money is one percent What's the effect of that? It's an increase in being able to afford more money to borrow, which had an impact of actually driving prices higher. So the only tools that CMHC has left is to tighten the rules. And they're doing that. I mean, only one in two mortgages are, are approved right now for investors that would have been approved two years ago. So what I'm worried about is that the, the banks will focus more and more on tightening the rules for investors and make it easier for the homeowners, which will have, again, this, this dual impact. One, on the investor, very negative. On the homeowners, easier to get the money, but by higher prices. And the other thing is that it just, and this is very simple, but it's one of the things that comes out of that is that, uh, you know, that's a great reason right now to go and get pre-approved if you're out there shopping for a home. Mike, I'd like to stand outside every street corner and yell it to investors because we are so loud in, in our thinking that, oh, we're going to go get our six-plex six plex or duplex mm-hmm. mortgage pre-approved, uh, no problem, just uh, uh, nothing to worry about, but there is something to worry about because you may no longer qualify under the same rules than the which you originally three or four years ago got the money. And I don't know what you would be waiting for. We have lifetime low interest rates. Go out there, get yourself renewed now for any product that you want to keep, of course. If you want to sell it this year, you don't have to go long. But go long. I mean, you can get seven-year money at just over 3%, five-year money at around 2.6%. And if for the larger projects, if it has that CMHC, Banner, my goodness gracious, you get it below 2%. That's the thing that worries me most, uh, that people go to the bank and think, oh, I'm going to get my mortgage renewed, and the bank says, well, sorry, you no longer qualify. (laughs) What about a couple of hot properties? Well, we looked at Alberta, and we saw two uh, condos that uh, one of our uh, realtors, uh, Robert McLeod, has, and one is on at 96 Sun. Thousand. One is on at 109. It's one block to the LRT, just downtown. And he's also got a brand-new two-bedroom condo at 253000 Now, Mike, that gets free GST, second underground parking. That's worth 12500 12, plus $3,500 for furnishing. You know, the market may be tough, but in tough markets, uh, some really nice deals develop. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you're going to have a lot more of those for us on January uh, 29th. Uh, I'm really looking forward to that, Ozzy. I think it's the highlight of the show, the World Outlook Conference. Ozzy Jurek will be there bringing uh, experts together. Uh, this is a great year. It's a good year. Every year we've been doing very well. Ozzy's made uh, our people a ton of money, whether it's down in Phoenix. You get the Canadian dollar, and you've had massive price uh, inflation there, which has been great. But uh, lots to talk about. Ozzy, have a happy new year. Look forward to chatting with you shortly. And the same to you and your listeners, Mike. I'll take a break. Uh, Aussies, obviously, the police are coming for Aussie as we speak. No, they're not. I'm just kidding there. <laughs> you could hear the siren in the background. I'll take a break. We're going live to the trading desk, and I've got a goofy award. Stay with us right here on the Chorus Network. 
Coming up, I've got a goofy award that we'll discuss what uh, I think you can make a good case for was the most interesting, <laughs> I'm trying to think of the right adjective, political story of the last year in North America. Victor Dare joins me now first, though, live from the trading desk. Victor, I, I found the markets kind of interesting as we come into the new year in that in so many areas we've hit our key targets, whether it was oil, say, coming around that $34 mark, which has been well on the table on Money Talks for uh, a couple of years, uh, the Canadian dollar, you know, pushing below 75, sort of flirting with that 70 cent mark. Uh, and now I'm sort of personally, I'm in a wait and see attitude there. And I wanted you to talk for a moment about the U.S. dollar, because I think, as I said earlier in the show, that should have been on every top 10 list of top stories of the year. Well, uh, the U.S. dollar, Mike, I think um, at the risk of repeating myself, you know, I, I've been saying on the show, it seems like for a few years now that it is all about the U.S. dollar. You know, think of it this way. It's not that the Canadian dollar went down. The U.S. dollar went up. You know, it's not that crude oil went down. No, it's the U.S. dollar went up. To me, the U.S. dollar is the other side of so many trades that if you can get the U.S. dollar right, you're going to get a lot of things right with the, the investments that you make. I've been maintaining that the U.S. dollar is in a multi-year uptrend. You know, we can go back to the up, uptrend we had back under Ronald Reagan, then again under Bill Clinton. I think we're doing the same thing again here. But, you know, these uptrends don't just go straight. They, we have some corrections. And I think from a short-term trading view uh, right now, you know, that the U.S. dollar is uh, overlong. In other words, too many people have crowded into the I'm long the U.S. dollar trade, and that could give us, could give us a little correction here. And the things that would benefit in that environment, obviously, the other side of the coin, things like Canadian dollar, crude oil, that sort of thing that, that had been hammered because the U.S. dollar might get a little bounce. Well, I mean, certainly corrections are, are the norm. I mean, we should sure. get a correction, especially when we've had these pretty abrupt and extreme moves uh, you know, that fall in the Canadian dollar, not just this year, but in the last month or so. Same with crude oil as it pushed, really pushed down uh, in earnest. So, yeah, I'm sitting there, I have the same opinion, Vic. I mean, when are you going to get at least a corrective bounce here? Uh, and as you say, uh, isn't everybody bullish on the U.S. dollar finally? That's usually a sign that you've got, <laughs> you've, <laughs> that you may reverse. Yeah, I mean, we had uh, in the Globe and Mail, I saw the, um, the, the front page story was on the uh, uh -oh. they call it the weak loony. Uh, anyway, in the financial websites and so on that I look at, the term has been overcrowded. Now, here's the thing, though: there has been very good reason to be bullish the U.S. dollar. You know, we've got higher interest rates in the United States than in a lot of other countries. There is safety and opportunity in America. The euro, from a lot of perspective, is just fundamentally unstable. It's a flawed currency. And then, you know, you've heard this story all around the world. Trillions of dollars have been borrowed in U.S. dollars. And as the U.S. dollar rises, it's harder and harder to pay that back. So people have to scramble to cover those short positions. I think that we get a correction. And by the way, the, some parts of me think maybe we already had it here in, in the, in the mm -hmm. let's call it the thin trading we get at the end of, end of the year. But I'm still thinking, you know, we could fall off here 5 to 10 percent, that kind of range when I say correction. And then I think we we're, we're still headed higher in the U.S. dollar over the next couple of years. 
One of the things I've noticed in the markets in general is every one of these corrections, like if you go back, let's say, to August and we had that thousand point down move and uh, we had a ton of people saying and, and very good analysts saying, you know, well, this is part of a corrective phase, et cetera. And my, I noticed that we never quite get to what would be the norms in correction, which I find is interesting. <laughs> and uh, that's what, what you're alluding to is you've got that little, that little voice on your shoulder saying maybe, you know, because these trends have proven so powerful. So if we indeed reversed in a significant way, man, that would be the big story of 2016, as yeah, opposed to, I, as you say, correcting 10% or something. Yeah, I, I, you know, I really want to be clear here. I'm thinking this is a short-term trade. And, uh, you know, depending on your time horizon, you know, if your time horizon is a year or two, then you just don't, you don't pay any attention to the correction. You know, it's a, you stay with the longer-term trade. But for me, I, I like to – and a short-term trade to me, by the way, is I, I'm into something for a few days to a few months. Okay, that's what a short-term means to me. And I follow the psychology and some of the internal measurements we have show us that the market is – heavily long the U.S. dollar, and particularly heavily short the euro currency. The euro currency just seems, in the minds of so many people, to be a, a, a train wreck waiting to happen. And it wait, may well be. But when you have a market that gets so tipped to one side, the least little thing can cause it to go the other way for a while. And I'm willing to play that. So in the last couple of weeks, I have established what I call limited risk long positions, in the Canadian dollar, in crude oil, and in the euro. If I'm wrong on those trades, I'll be, you know, I've got a limited risk to start with, but I'm going to be out of them, and I'll reverse back to you know, the, my, my long-term position that mm -hmm. the U.S. dollar is going higher. Well, we'll keep an eye on it. Obviously, we'll do lots on this at the World Outlook Conference. Victor, Happy New Year. You too, Michael. Thank you. My thanks to Victor. My thanks to Ozzy Jurek, uh, Danielle Park. My thanks to Michael Levy. And, of course, uh, if you haven't caught Mike's big fat idea, you want to do that coming up. Uh, pa Patrick Sarinza talking about uh, selling covered calls on Suncor. As I say, you can get all of that by going to moneytalks.net. Money Talks is brought to you by Solera Club. Solera Club, uh, there are no fees involved, uh, and you are also paid first. It's a royalty-based investment in the tech field. So for more information, go to soleraclub.com. Time now for my Goofy Award. I'm dipping back to the last part of last year because it's going to be a continued story over this year. I didn't get a chance to do this, so I think it's re worth revisiting. I love all the fuss over Donald Trump and some of his comments, as if anyone should be surprised by what a TV celebrity who is given to bombast in order to attract media attention says. But they sure do. His recent comments promising to ban all Muslim immigration in the States has some predictable figures jumping on their moral high horse to denounce Mr. Trump. I think it was an absurd suggestion by Mr. Trump, but that doesn't get it. I'm not saying it wasn't offensive, superficial, impractical. I'm saying simply that some people couldn't wait to display their own great goodness by denouncing him. My question is, what does it say about us that we singled out Mr. Trump for his promise to stop all Muslim immigrants from entering the U.S. while remaining silent on a huge range of other outrageous political conduct. You know, I was looking this week at the misdeeds of Bill Cosby that he's being accused of, and I'm thinking, there was no such outrage when former President Bill Clinton and his sexual misdeeds? Come on. I've got a daughter, if she was 20 years old in that Oval Office with what went on there, that was being a sexual predator. 
And according to Ms. Lewinsky, there were 200 other women, including accusations of rape. But where was the outrage there? Especially the same people who say, hey, I'm for women's rights or, or respect for women, and then they don't have anything to say here? This guy's the most popular guy in the Democratic Party. So how does his behavior differ from the reviled Bill Cosby? I mean, who else, anywhere in society, where else would you get away with sexual misconduct of a 20-year-old intern by not only the office boss, but the boss? And then he lied about it. Is Mr. Trump's conduct any worse than Hillary Clinton's relentless string of questionable ethical actions? I mean, she's got a 25-year track record, from payoffs through commodity trading to the recent email scandal. Is Trump any more dangerous to America than the relentless movement restricting free speech on university campuses? That's an outrageous affront to freedom. The list is a long one if you want to pick out wild stuff. Trump is part of a loony bin. He ain't the only player. The real problem, though, becomes when people choose politics over principle and selectively apply principles when it suits their political agenda. Because make no mistake, that's what we're seeing here. That's my Goofy Award, the first one of the year. Hey, a reminder, go to moneytalks.net. Hey, click on the business comments, click on the midweek report, and hey, I hope you come and sign up. The World Outlook Conference is going to be spectacular. And as I say, there's an opportunity to bring someone younger. That's uh, our commitment to you. We think it's a very important thing to raise the level of debate, the level of education, about financial and economic issues. You think 2015 was big? Well, you ain't seen nothing yet. That is part, that is early innings of a major trend that's gripping us. That's all the time I have. Go out, have a terrific weekend.